When it comes to colonoscopies and colorectal cancer, people have lots of questions. Like, what's the Cologuard? Or my doctor told me I needed a colonoscopy to check for colon cancer, but is that true? As a part of National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month in March, let's answer these questions and learn more about colon cancer. This is Capital Health Headlines. I'm Scott Webb. Joining me today are Dr. Ashley Godshalk-Ruggles, a board-certified, fellowship-trained colorectal surgeon from Capital Health Surgical Group. Side note, she's letting me refer to her as Ashley today. Thank you. And Dr. Marion Anna Protano, a board-certified, fellowship-trained gastroenterologist. And together, they're going to discuss risk factors and screening guidelines, different ways of testing for cancer and polyps, and the treatment options that are available. So let's start here, Ashley. What's the importance of getting screened, and what kinds of screening tests are available for colorectal cancer? That's a good question. So I'm a colorectal surgeon, so I typically operate on colorectal cancer. And when we're talking about colorectal cancer and why is it important to get screened, first of all, like any cancer, no one wants cancer, but if we find it early, it's much more treatable than if we find it late. And the unfortunate thing with colorectal cancer is that a lot of times it's not symptomatic until it's gone really, really big or grown and kind of spread throughout the body. So a lot of times when patients are presenting to our offices with symptoms, it's because things have already kind of gotten to a point where they're, you know, a further stage and therefore harder to treat. Now, how do we screen for colon cancer? Everybody knows about colonoscopies. Everybody's heard about how horrible the PrEP is and how their neighbors kind of complain about having to go through it. And colonoscopy is still from really all the guidelines, the best way to diagnose and the only way to prevent colon cancer. But there have been some new advances, and people are always trying to find different and new ways to diagnose colon cancer. And so a lot of those new tests um, are looking at, basically they look at the stool. So Patients have to kind of usually collect stool, and we're looking at DNA in the stool or different things to try and see if there's any evidence that there might be a polyp or a cancer growing. Some of the tests are as simple as having a little stool on a card to see if there's blood in it. Um, some of them are a little more involved, but you know, a lot of those tests, we call them the FIT test or the fecal blood test. Um, most of them, you know, can be done in like a primary care office. Um, but the issue is that they're just a lot less sensitive and they really don't do a great job of finding, you know, advanced polyps or early cancers sometimes even can be missed. So, um, they're not typically what I would recommend, but there are other options out there for patients who are just completely unwilling to have a colonoscopy. In terms of those stool tests, the, the two major ones uh, Dr. Ashley mentioned, the fecal immunochemical test, the FIT test, has to be done every year, while the Cologuard, which is a fecal blood test plus DNA, should be done every three years. Um, as Dr. Ashley mentioned, they're not as sensitive as colonoscopy, especially on these smaller polyps. There's also something called this virtual colonoscopy where you take a prep, 
um, and you go through a CAT scan and we take pictures of your colon and we're able to see polyps. It's really best to detect polyps that are more than six millimeters and we'll miss some of the smaller polyps. Um, and the five-year screening interval is a five-year screening interval, so if you have a virtual, you need to repeat again in five years. Um, this can sometimes be used if a colonoscopy is incomplete. Um, similar to a colonoscopy, there's a very, very small risk of putting a hole in the colon as well as radiation exposure because it is a CAT scan. However, it does not require sedation. So some patients who may be very high risk for anesthesia may be another option as well, depending. Um, However, that being said, if a CT colonography or virtual colonoscopy or any of these stool tests are positive, the next step is going to be having a colonoscopy. So Ashley, at what age should people first be screened and how often do people need to be screened after that? Run-of-the-mill people in the population, no strong family history, nothing to make us really worried that they're going to develop a colon cancer, you know, before we would typically see it. Um, most guidelines are saying that colonoscopy should start at age 50, although I will say that the American Cancer Society did just change the recommendations to age 45, and that's because we are seeing an increased incidence of colon and rectal cancer in our younger patients, which is kind of a scary trend, and we don't really understand why that's happening. But um, So some people would say 45 Definitely by age 50, patients should definitely be getting a colonoscopy and getting screened. And in terms of the interval, how frequently that's going to be done, a lot of it depends on what your risk factors are. If you have, uh, you know, my brother had colon cancer at 55 and you found some polyps on my colonoscopy, then it's going to be a closer interval than someone who has no family history and has no polyps. So, you know, it can go up to as far as 10 years in between. And for really high-risk patients, it can be as close as three years in between. Sometimes, you know, for some patients, if they have um, a genetic syndrome or something that makes them higher risk, we'll do a colonoscopy every year. Um, and that's not common, but a lot of it is based on what's found during the colonoscopy and kind of what your risk factors are. And it would also add the GI guidelines mentioned for age 45 for any African-Americans. So the American Cancer Society says 45 for all, all patients, while the American, right now the GAS GI guidelines are recommending 45 only for African-Americans and 50 for um, uh, non-African-Americans. That being said, you know, it, you have to, it all depends also on your other risk factors like Dr. Ashley mentioned. But definitely for African-Americans, those, those patients tend to be higher risk due to genetic predisposition. So another reason to, to see your doctor a little bit sooner before 50. I'm still uh, thinking about what Ashley said there about how uh, it's more prevalent now in younger people and trying to understand why that is. Um, that's, that's pretty alarming. Uh, so let's talk about the risk factors. Uh, generally speaking, uh, Dr. Pertano, what are the risk factors? When should people be concerned? You know, what are the symptoms, if there are any, for colorectal cancer? So there's different things that put you at higher risk. So if you have a family history of colon cancer or a family history of polyps, being high-risk polyps, which there are certain different criteria that make them high-risk, you should have a colonoscopy at 10 years younger than the person who was affected 
or at age 40, whichever comes first. So if you have a a family member, a first-degree family member, which is a sibling or a parent who has colon cancer and advanced polyp, let's say at the age of 45, then you should start screening colonoscopies at the age of 35, 10 years younger. Um, Other things that can put us at risk, uh, if you have Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, these are inflammatory bowel disease, and these patients require more frequent colonoscopies. Um, Genetic syndromes, uh, smoking, alcohol, diabetes, age, Uh, And if you have a diet high in animal fats, especially like red meats, nitrites, which is like hot dogs, and low in fiber, um, and then a personal history of colon polyps or cancer, and actually also being overweight can increase your risk. So signs and symptoms of colon cancer, one of the most concerning things is rectal bleeding. And, And something I'd like to just warn everybody about, so often we have bleeding and we're like, oh, it's just hemorrhoidal. It's fine. I have hemorrhoids. I'm going to ignore it you really should have it checked out. It could just be hemorrhoids, but you should see a doctor and be evaluated and see if you need a colonoscopy, especially anytime bleeding persists. But anytime you have rectal bleeding, you should see your doctor. Um, Other things that can cause, other symptoms could be pain, uh, which is uh, constipation, changing your bowel movements, pencil thin, really thin bowel movements, uh, unable to have a bowel movement or pass gas, feeling weak, losing weight, or you could have symptoms of anemia or low blood levels from chronic blood loss, which would be chest pain, shortness of breath, dizziness, or feeling weak. If you have any of these symptoms, you should see a doctor immediately, and they can make the decision to decide if you need a colonoscopy at that time. I wanted to add one thing. What Dr. Pertano was saying about risk factors or things that would make you, you know, at a higher risk of developing colon cancer. I don't know if anyone was really paying attention to all of the specifics, but pretty much it's like if you're an American and you eat an American diet, then you're at higher risk. Because a lot of those things are eating low fiber, high in animal fats, like she said, or obesity. And as, you know, we've seen across our population that people, you know, in more industrialized civilizations tend to eat more processed foods. They have more meat in their diet, less vegetables, less fresh fruits, um, the obesity epidemic. So I think all of this is contributing to, you know, seeing um, this increase in the younger population that we're having. Absolutely. And that's why in Asia, it's not as high of a risk as it is here in America because of diet and lifestyle. So let's talk about colonoscopies. And I wanted to ask about CO2 insufflation. I've heard of these advancements, specifically this one, and, and how, again, there's a lot of um, you know apprehension people have about getting colonoscopies, but the actual procedure is pretty simple, and then it's over, and then they have some cookies and go home. So let's talk about the actual colonoscopy procedure, CO2 insulation. How does that work? As a gastroenterologist, I do colonoscopies three days a week. So I see... I. I do it all the time, and uh, a lot of times patients who are really hesitant about doing it, after they have it done, they say to me, it wasn't so bad. Uh, As Dr. Ashley mentioned earlier, the prep is the hardest part. So the day before your test, you're going to have clear liquids only, soup broth, soda, juice, water, coffee, jello, tea, no milk or cream in the coffee or tea. You drink clear liquids the whole day before. And then usually the night before, 
and six hours before or four hours before your test, you have the second dose. So you do the prep twice, once at night and once the morning of the test. The reason why we split the dose like that is it's been shown to clean out the right side of the colon better, which is where small, flat polyps tend to hide. People think we make them wake up in the middle of the night to torture them, but there's a reason for it. And then that, that day you come in for your colonoscopy. You have to have a ride the day of the test because you are getting sedation. Um, and then when you get the colonoscopy, you're completely asleep. You don't remember anything. We use propofol sedation typically, which is uh, conscious sedation. So you're breathing on your own, but you don't remember anything. We use, at Capital Health, we use CO2 insufflation, which helps uh, cause less gas and bloat after your colonoscopy because the the air is more quickly reabsorbed. We have to blow air into your colon in order to see everything and look behind these folds in order to define these little polyps and potentially, hopefully, take them out. During the colonoscopy, we'll take out any polyps that we can safely during the exam. We may take little, and everything we take out, we send off to the lab to look under the microscope. After your procedure, your doctor will talk to you, let you know what they find, and then they'll follow up with you and let you know what the findings are on the, uh, under the microscope in terms of what type of polyps you have and when you need to come back for your next colonoscopy. That day, no alcohol, no driving, no, driving, no operating heavy machinery, but the next day you're back to your normal self. Um, you know, the day before, in theory, you can also work. You'll just be hungry because, and you don't have to take the prep until the night, night before. Uh, depending on your risk factors, you may or may not be asked to come in for an office visit before the colonoscopy if you have no symptoms. Sometimes we also here at Capital Health offer direct access colonoscopy where you can call and fill out a form and just come straight for the colonoscopy and you don't necessarily need to take off two days from work and you could just come in for the colonoscopy and get it done. We want to do everything that you can, we can here at Capital to make it an easy procedure for you to have it done because it's important that everyone gets their colonoscopy. And just to echo what Dr. Protano said, um, it always makes me laugh when I finish doing colonoscopy on my patients because they'll wake up and they look at me and they say, oh, that was the best nap I've ever had. And so there's so much, you know, I guess, gnashing of teeth when people think about having to go through a colonoscopy. But I feel like the general sentiment afterwards is really that it's not nearly as bad. And even with the PrEP, I think patients think of the PrEP that they did, you know, maybe that their parents did where they were drinking literally four gallons of the most disgusting tasting liquid. And yes, there are still some patients that have to do that. But a lot of patients, if they don't have other medical conditions, can do really, you know, a decent tasting prep or one that has a lot less volume than it used to and patients find that they're really not as bad as they were worried about. You know, my uh, 16-year-old son uh, needed the colonoscopy and uh, and he hates everything, of course, because he's 16. That's his job is to hate everything and think everything is the worst thing ever. And he said, you know, besides being hungry, it's fine. It really wasn't a big deal for him. So lastly, Ashley, I want to talk about, have you talk about uh, treatment for colorectal cancer. What are the treatment options and what does that mean for patients? So... I think when we talk about treatment, the way I look at it um, is kind of prevention and treatment. The reason I'm such a proponent of colonoscopy and I really upsets me, honestly, when my patients tell me that they're just going to get the Cologuard or something else is those tests 
can diagnose them if they have colon cancer, but what they can't do is prevent colon cancer. And that's what I want to do, right? I don't want my patients to have cancer. Having cancer is horrible. It changes your life, even if it's just for a year. And um, and you kind of live with that fear hanging over your head for forever, even if you do well and, you know, have complete remission of your disease. But with colonoscopy, when we find a polyp, we can easily remove it. And even now, we have developed some amazing technologies with colonoscopy for even bigger polyps where we can inject um, saline or some kind of fluid under the polyp to lift it up and remove it completely. And so even sometimes there are polyps that if they have cancer, that's just in the very head of the polyp, but we're able to remove the whole thing. We don't even need to do anything more than that. So sometimes treatment is literally just having the colonoscopy and having the polyp removed in that advanced technique. If a patient does have colon cancer, it's not able to be removed, um, and we recommend moving forward, the treatment's typically going to involve surgery at some point. With colon cancer, we almost always will do surgery first, and the reason we do that is we want to get out the mass. We want typically, you know, these masses can bleed, they can cause blockages, so we want to prevent that from happening. Um, and by doing surgery, we're not only removing the mass, but we're also able to remove all of the lymph nodes where that cancer drains and take a look at those lymph nodes and know if we need to do anything else. Need, You know, an important part of cancer treatment is knowing how far and if it has spread. And so by removing those lymph nodes, um, we can see if there's been any spread to the lymph nodes and if there's any reason to do chemotherapy. Now, sometimes if a patient, when they initially present, has more advanced colon cancer and it's already spread to the organ, sometimes we won't do surgery and we'll just move to chemotherapy. But Again, if we do colonoscopy and find these cancers earlier, then there's a higher likelihood that surgery is able to be your only treatment and kind of be your cure, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, it is really awesome. For anybody who's, you know, too scared or embarrassed to get a colonoscopy, Dr. Pertano, it saves lives, it prevents cancer, it treats cancer, it's, it's all of those things. What advice do you have for those people that are just kind of scared and a little embarrassed to get a colonoscopy? Make an appointment with your doctor so you can, or if you don't have a doctor, make an appointment with, you know, a gastroenterologist to talk about it. Because sometimes if just talking about it, you know, alleviates that stress. Talk to your friends or family who've had a colonoscopy who probably will just put your mind at ease that it's not as stressful as you think it's going to be. Um, ultimately, you know, colonoscopy is a, a great screening test and having colon cancer is life-changing. So if you put it in that perspective, hopefully that helps motivate you to move forward with the colonoscopy. Uh, and March is Colon Cancer Awareness Month, which is why we're doing this, uh, to help you know, promote awareness of the importance of colon cancer screening, as well as support to our patients who have been diagnosed with colon cancer. So hopefully hearing all this in this podcast, if you 
haven't had your colonoscopy and you're due, hopefully this will motivate you. And if you need more help or reassurance, I think making an appointment with your doctor and talking it through hopefully will help alleviate your anxiety and help you be able to go through with the procedure, which we think is so important. I hope so, too. Uh, thank you both for being on today. Again, you know, March is, is the month, and this is a great time to have this podcast out, and hopefully this helped everybody. Thanks so much. And to request a colonoscopy, visit capitalhealth.org slash colonoscopy or call 609-303-4444. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and check out the full podcast library for topics of interest to you. This is Capital Health Headlines. Thanks for listening.